Julie is going to be speaking in a few moments. We have a teaching team here in Holy Trinity, and it's myself and Dilla, Scott Evans and Scott Hill, and there's others who are satellites on that team, like James Gallon, and today we're delighted that Julie is going to be coming to speak for the first time uh, in Holy Trinity, and we're really looking forward to that. Uh, she's got a great gift, especially in the Old Testament, of helping us understand so I think Joy's going to come and do our reading. Uh, Joy comes in the morning. And so we're going to do uh, a reading from Isaiah, which I think should be up on the screen, or if it's not, you'll read from the Bible. So over to you, Joy. Good morning. So it's Isaiah chapter 11, from verse 1 to 10. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike them, sorry, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow shall bear and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the wind child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to all the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Amen. Thank you, Joy. I just want to welcome in Julie, who's going to speak to us. Can we just give her a little round of applause and welcome her? We're delighted that you're speaking with us this morning, and the Lord be with you. Thank you, Rob. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's so lovely to be here on the second Sunday of Advent and to be part of this special series um, where we are interactively exploring Isaiah's visions, visions of Isaiah, the coming of the Lord, and seeing how they relate in both uh, the Jewish context in which they were formed 2,700 years ago, as well as our context today, and particularly exploring how they might relate to Advent. So Christmas is all around us, as we know. Uh, it's only, Izzy told me this morning, 17 days or something. And it has been in pennies and little since September. So it, we're well aware that Christmas is on the way. But when we're thinking about Advent, as I'm sure we're all familiar with now, um, what does the word Advent mean? Coming. You should know, Rob. We, we hope you know. <laughs> Good. Um, so coming with a sense of expectation, we are expecting the Messiah. And we are expecting him in not just one, but in three ways. 
We're expecting him 2,000 years ago, born to Mary and Joseph in David's city. We're expecting him as the risen Messiah in our hearts every day. And we're expecting him to return at some point. And part of the reason for that third expectation, the return of Christ, is found in the word Advent itself, which is a direct translation of this Greek word parousia, which simply means arrival. And this word was used in ancient literature when the king or the emperor, Emperor Nero, for example, would arrive into a city and establish his presence there. So it's used in the New Testament in different places. And we have these beautiful words behind me in gold and a little bit of purple today, um, which I've started to notice every week, till he come, which expresses that very sentiment, that idea that we are expecting, expecting the Messiah. And this is what this season is all about. So we're looking at Isaiah and exploring these messianic passages to see how they applied then and how they might apply now. And one thing I love about Isaiah is this is the scroll we see Jesus unrolling in Luke 4. We read in Luke 4 about Jesus going to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth and being called up to read from the prophet Isaiah and unrolling the scroll to those famous words, the spirit of the Lord is on me, proclaiming good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. So Jesus was reading from the Isaiah scroll. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, if we can have the next slide, please. Um, has anyone ever been here? Yeah. Yeah, there's loads of people. So this is the shrine of the book in the Israel Museum where they house the Dead Sea Scrolls. These are special scrolls, uh, different books of the Bible, which were written from about 200 years before Jesus and stored in a cave until they were found by some Bedouin shepherds in 1947. So they house these scrolls here. Um, and in, in this museum, you can see a copy of the Isaiah scroll, which is on the next slide. So this is the book of Isaiah, <laughs> um, if anyone can read it. And <clears throat> this is similar to what Jesus would have unrolled in Luke 4 and seen with his very own eyes. So it's quite amazing to think you could read it like that, or you could read it like this, or you could read it on your phone. Um, and actually, in that museum, they have a nano chip, uh, which is it's the tiniest Bible in the whole world. It's all of the Old Testament on a really tiny chip. So you go from this to a tiny chip in like a different room, and it's kind of bizarre, but it's amazing. There's another connection as well between Jesus and Isaiah, which resides in the meaning of their names. So if we could turn in our pew Bibles for a moment, um, there should be one at the end of every pew, and if someone doesn't have one, maybe you could share or read it on your phone, and go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. So at first glance, his name and his job, what Jesus will do and accomplish, they seem unconnected. But the name, does anyone know the name, Jesus' name in Hebrew, what it is? Yeshua, which sounds like Joshua. Do we have any Joshuas here? Anyone called Joshua? So Joshua and Yeshua, it's kind of the same name. Um, And Yeshua means salvation. It comes from the verb to save. So this verse makes sense when we know the verbal meaning of his name. His name means salvation because he will save his people. This is what he will do. And if we're thinking about verbs and nouns, um, a noun, what, what is a noun? If we have any teachers amongst us. <laughs> what is a noun? A person, place, or a thing. A noun is a person, place, or a thing. A thing, and what is a verb? An action word. So Hebrew is a very verbal language. Everything in it, nouns and all, stem from verbs. We tend to think in English of names a bit like nouns, but names in Hebrew come from a root verb and describe the essence of something. So if I were to hold up a pen or a pencil, can I just borrow that for a minute? So if I were to hold up this pen um, in English and I were to describe it, I would say it is black and plastic. But in Hebrew, and I don't know how it works in other languages, if you were to describe the pen, you would say it writes. So names describe what, um, what something or someone will do. If we're thinking about God's own personal name, God's own name is used a number of times in this Isaiah passage <clears throat> that we read a few minutes ago. And God's own name is also a verb. His name has a sense of action. It has a verbal quality, a little like a rushing river, a river that is constantly in motion. So what we translate as Yahweh or Jehovah, no one really knows how God's name was pronounced, or even the Lord, this comes from the verb to be, if that makes sense. So we have I am that I am or I will be. This is God's name. And when God describes his very own name in Exodus 3 to Moses in that famous conversation at the burning bush, when Moses says, when I go to your people and tell them you have sent me, um, what, who, will I, who will I say has sent me? And God says, I will be what I will be. And that is his name. That's where we get Yahweh or Jehovah. So in that idea, there's a sense of past, present, and future colliding all at once in God's own name. So Isaiah then, any clues as to what the name Isaiah means? Without Googling. Isaiah means salvation of the one and living God. So it combines Yeshua's own name, Jesus, salvation, with God's own personal name. So the idea of God's name being a verb and the salvation of God come together. They find a home in the prophet Isaiah. And that action sense of a verb is so important. When we think about the life walk of Jesus, he was always in motion. If you heard his name, you heard him coming. If you were alive 2,000 years ago and you heard 
Yeshua is coming for dinner, you would have heard salvation is coming. Salvation is, when he meets Zacchaeus, I think that was in the lectionary a few weeks ago, he, Jesus invites himself over for lunch, and he says, today salvation will come to your home. Salvation was in the flesh, moving and walking around and showing up. Salvation showed up at weddings and brought wine, and he showed up at funerals and brought resurrection, and he showed up at lunch and brought fish or bread. So he was always on the move, salvation in motion. So Isaiah, salvation of the one and living God, salvation in motion. When we're thinking about Isaiah as a prophetic text, the word for prophet in Hebrew is Navi, a bit like um, Avatar. If you're familiar with Avatar, the Navi tribe, well, Navi is the simple word for prophet in Hebrew and it means one who brings. So what does Isaiah specifically bring? He brings comfort to Israel at a time when they were being or were about to be chopped down and reduced to a stump. He speaks of judgment and some of the things we might find uncomfortable. He speaks of restoration and he offers a vision of the messianic age, of what will be inaugurated when Messiah comes. And there's so much in this passage, which Joy so beautifully read for us, these uh, rich and deep images of restoration. And particularly, there's a really interesting vision of predator animals who lie down with sacrificial animals. If you notice, the animals are the ones that would have been used in the temple for sacrifice, goats and sheep and cows lying down with predator animals. But I would like to spend a little bit of time reflecting on the first verse. If we could go back to the first slide just for a moment. What we are given in chapter 8. So we're given this curious image, a branch or a shoot coming out of a stump. When we're thinking about it, what is a stump? So what, what is a stump? A tree that has been chopped down. And if there's a slide as well of a stump, if we could go forward to that, perfect, thank you. So this is a tree stump. The bottom part of a tree left projecting out of the ground after it's been cut down. So what does it mean for a green shoot to grow out of a stump. There must be residual life in that stump. It might not be visible, it might, be, might seem like it's dead, it might not even be active. It doesn't look like uh, there is life in there, but there is something within it that could sustain new growth and there are still roots beneath it. Or the next image Isaiah offers us in that verse, a branch go growing from the roots. At first, it seems like kind of an unusual image. I'm not a gardener. Um, I'm sure we have some gardeners amongst us. But I'm reading a very interesting book called The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wolleben. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but I think he's a German forester. And one of the central claims of his, of his book is that trees communicate with each other and they actually nurture one another. So if there is a tree stump, the surrounding trees might send nutrients via the root system in order to keep it alive. And if we think in terms of our own lives, 
Sometimes we might feel like a tree stump. We might need to be nourished and sustained by others in order that a green shoot can come forth again. And this idea of the interrelation of trees is fascinating when we think in terms of scripture, of the central role that trees play from the very beginning with all the trees in the garden, the tree of life, to the very end in Revelation, where trees feature again and its leaves are for the healing of the nations, to the very fact that Jesus, salvation himself, was nailed to a tree. So trees feature again and again. But what does it mean to say that God can bring forth, can sprout life from a stump? What does it look like for God to move on something that looks like there is no life in it and to draw forth life? On day one of creation, we see chaos and darkness. We don't see anything of life until God speaks. And what does he say? Let's turn there for a moment just to Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. It's actually more verses 3 and 4. <laughs> So the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and a wind from God swept over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So in those verses, where is the light? First. In the darkness, the light is in the darkness, good. Okay, so sometimes we think of light, light and darkness as always being separate. But for a moment, in the text, the light exists in the darkness, and who can see it? God, God can see it. So the light is in the darkness, and God can see it. He sees it, and then he pulls it out, and he draws it forth. So sometimes it feels like there is darkness, but in that space, God's voice might be hovering, ready to speak light and ready to pull it forth. And when we think again of the life walk of Jesus, what did he do with the people he met and saw? He saw them for who they were. He saw the light within them. He spoke and he drew it forth. People that other people might have said were dark, or might have said, we're, we're dead stumps. But he saw life and he drew it forth. And how is the light described in this Genesis uh, 1? How is the light described? How does God see it? As good, this light, the light is good. So this word good is the second thought that helps us unpack a little bit of what it means for a green shoot to come out of a stump. So when we think of the word good, we might think of a moral good, good versus bad. But there's a little, is there another sense of good that we can get from the scriptures? So staying on that page, or if you have it on your phone in Genesis 1, 
drop down to Genesis verse 11 and 12. So Genesis 1 verses 11 and 12 we read, God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. So what is good here? Where are the seeds in this verse? The seeds are in God's mouth, and he speaks them into the earth, and then the earth responds and brings forth life. So this is an aspect of good, bringing forth the potential that God has embedded within you. And there's a really important hyperlink here in this verse with what is happening in Isaiah 11. Here we read the earth is responding, the earth is bringing forth life, the seeds embedded within it by God. And this verb, if we can go on to the next slide, this Hebrew verb is yetzah, to bring forth. This is the same verb we read in Isaiah 11 verse 1. There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So now we have a picture of what it means for a shoot to come forth for life to emerge, given to us in the very beginning. And this same word is what will be used when God will take Israel out of Egypt. People are brought forth in the same way that plants are in the very beginning, in the same way that Isaiah describes what will happen. So let's take a moment. Um, as I invite the worship team to come and play. We have a beautiful reflective song. And you'll probably be wondering what the post-its are in front of you. So take a piece of paper and a pencil. Um, there should be enough for everybody. And if there are not, we can just share. And while the music is playing, just pause and think about where in your life is God bringing forth green shoots? from that which seemed like it was cut down or even dead, from that which was a stump, where is God moving to draw forth goodness and life? Life that if it were to grow could sustain an orchard. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify those green shoots to identify where he is moving and seeking to draw that potential, that light forth in you. <laughs> 